Confused with the crisp, Adam Dorito. How's it going, man? You alright? Yeah, pleasure to be here, Darren. Thank you for the invite uh, from across the pond, so to speak, and over a few mountains in between. But yeah, it's man. a pleasure to talk on your podcast. Thanks for reaching out to me. So you've been uh, been working today? Yeah. So this is uh, this is my kind of like my week off. Uh, I do work in the energy industry, so we do have uh, an alternate schedule where we work five days on, five days off. So this has been after my, my long road trip across the U.S. visiting you know, Andy up in Montana yeah. and some people back in Jersey where I'm from, uh, taking these few days off to really reconcile everything that I, the emails that I've been getting reached out with, um, you know, lots of different notes and people wanting answers to different things. So taking this time to, to connect with people like you who were able to listen to my first podcast ever, this being my second, um, oh, really? Discuss. <laughs> yeah, this is my second podcast ever now. Oh, fucking um, hell. Let's not mess this one up then. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, just willing to talk about, you know, the issues that the U.S. military faces uh, or anything above, whether it's my service in, in the military now or what I do in my civilian life on the side. So, so let's start with your background a little bit then. Um, I know you're from somewhere that's quite, quite dear to me, actually. I um between the age of 18 and about 23, I spent a lot of time in upstate New York in Orange County. And I remember that was the first thing that sort of resonated with me when you were talking about your, your is it your grandma's house? That's uh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a lake community. So I live right yeah. next to two, two lakes um, for, we'll just say, we'll call it four, four summers four summers I lived right next to two beautiful lakes in upstate New York, which I can't imagine is too far away. But the other thing that I was like, cause you said you were in eighth grade when nine 11 happened. Correct. And I think I, it must've been the first year that I was working in America. It might've been the second. Don't get me. I'm, I'm terrible with this timeline. Um, I actually flew the, flew back to the UK the day before that happened. Oh wow! Yeah. About what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, missed, you missed a lot because everything here in the US shut down completely. Yeah, but so. I was I was around at my best friend um, Danny's house uh, the next day. I'd I'd arrived back home and I'd immediately gone around to to see my best friend, and he was like, "Have you seen this?" And I was looking on the news and I was like, it was so surreal. In the same way that you were like, um, I think you said on Andy's podcast, like, who flowed the sensor into, uh, in, into the world trade? I was watching it thinking the same sort of thing. This can't be real. Can't be real. And um, when you were talking to Andy, he was talking about the, the, the fact that the, the towers falling down was on repeat and your parents were sat there 
watching it, obviously you had family members that were in the building, potentially in the building. I don't know, were they in the building? Yeah, so actually my dad's cousin, so it'd be my second cousin. Uh, yeah. His name is Michael McHugh, and he was killed on the 101st floor of Cantor Fitzgerald in Tower 1. So we, I did, you know, we did personally lose family in the World Trade Center, which is why, you know, I took it more personally when I joined the military a few years after that. Um, But yeah, I I was born in Upper State New York in Poughkeepsie, which is right across the Tappan Zee Bridge. And then I graduated high school in Northern New Jersey in West Milford Township, uh, which is where I spent most of my teenage years. So when 9-11 happened, you know, as the crow flies, we're about 40 miles northwest of New York City. It's sort of Washington Bridge, isn't it? Yeah, the George Washington Bridge is where my grandmother actually lives, uh, what we were talking about before. She lives right across the Hudson River from Manhattan Island in New York City. Uh, I lived in in a more rural area of New Jersey, but from the tops of the highways going into the city, you could actually see the towers burning. Um, from you know that distance away and you know when we went down to my grandmother's house the following week to check in on her and how she was doing you know the everything was still on fire in the city and uh, most of the closings were were closed going into New York City you couldn't get in and out without heavy and you know strip searching basically going on going into the entry and exit points by the military and the local police and the port authority so it was a it was a surreal experience, and like I said, I have never seen anything like that ever again. Um, you know, no, the amount of unity from around the world that occurred during that time. You know, so I mean, the U.S. you know is going through a tumultuous time right now, where everyone's fighting over anything and everything. You know, but after nine eleven, that just wasn't the case. I mean, everyone really got along. We didn't care where you were from, what you did, what you believed in, who you identified as. You know, we were all Americans. And at that point, uh, we were almost all citizens around the world. I mean, we got um, reached out to by multiple countries, such as, you know, Great Britain, France, Germany, Israel, you know, all the countries, you know, cared, Um, you know, and that's when, you know, the global war on terror kicked off, basically. And it's been going on ever since, unfortunately. So, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I I said to you in the messages, um, my brother served um, one one tour in Iraq, two in Afghanistan, and missed a, a big part of both of his daughters growing up be, because of it. And people say, you know, that's part of the military, but it, it doesn't doesn't mean it doesn't have a lasting effect on you. Seeing that yeah. your, your little ones first first couple of months or whatever. But um, so I, I had a few friends who were EMTs, and that's that sort of where you started, wasn't it? Like as an EMT, uh, I, bear in mind, I, I did listen listen to your your first podcast with with Andy, and uh, you were saying that you had some pretty traumatic. I mean, the, the one about the the guy, was it a guy that you were at school with, and his face? Yeah. So messed and up. I, and I'll, yeah. So if, I'll if, be you, honest if you about- if you could tell that story, sure. Just yeah. So actually. It. Yeah, and in Andy's podcast, I didn't actually think that was going to get that much attention. I mean, I thought that was a short stint in my life, and the amount of comments I got about some of the cases I worked on as an EMT were kind of funny. So, so to, to be 100% honest, that story it was actually three different people combined into one because I didn't really think people were actually going to believe that okay. there's three different people involved. So, so yes, there was. When I showed up on scene uh, at that party, 
there was a person unconscious who has had his throat filled with mulch and dirt, who was not breathing, was unresponsive. Uh, right. And I had to resuscitate and I had to resuscitate him. Um, basically cleared his airway, did some quick CPR. He came back pretty quick. You know, it wasn't like he was blue in the face and out for a long period of time. Um, right. When I got there, he, he was unconscious, not breathing. I was able to quickly resuscitate him. The person next to him got hit in the face with a golf club. Uh, okay. And split his face open from the corner of his mouth up to his cheek. Um, and, you know, some people were referencing of, oh, you no, know, that's out of your scope of practice. I would never stitch somebody's face together as an EMT. Well, there was a reason for that. John, had, or I, I shouldn't have said his name, but this yeah, person, okay. this person um, had a police record and he was getting ready to leave for basic military training. And if he had gotten uh, any more police records, you know, from the hospital or at being underage drinking at a party, he wouldn't have been able to report in. So he asked me, Adam, can you please fix my face and put some stitches in so he right. can heal up and go to basic training, right? So it wasn't that big of a gash. There's maybe two inches here on the side of his mouth. And I sutured his, his lip and his cheek back together. And uh, he healed up. And then the third guy, who was also leaving for basic military training, got his teeth knocked out with a baseball bat. He had to go to the hospital immediately because I can't do dental work and most people aren't. <laughs> no. So basically put his teeth in a glass of, of milk and then we got him to the hospital. So, yeah. um, you know, so, so that story that I told on Andy's podcast for time reasons, I basically condensed so, all three yeah, of those injuries into one person, but I just found it funny how there was a lot of criticism about, you know, Oh, there's no way he would have done that. And you're right. Uh, I was also a wilderness EMT with that search and rescue group in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, we were taught how to do sutures and, you know, emergency, uh, wilderness medicine. Right. So, um, although, was it technically out of the scope of practice as an EMT basic in the state of New Jersey? Yes. But did the situation necessitate that response? Absolutely. Are those people better off today and still alive? And we still talk about it over beers every year when I go home for the holidays. Absolutely. You know, so. It's one of those things. Um, like I, said, I, I remember when I was, um, was it in New York, I, I did a, I did a lifeguards course for, for the lake that we were on. I was, a, I was a qualified lifeguard in the UK, but obviously it doesn't translate. You guys like to have the Baywatch, big red things and stuff when you're, when you're um, jumping into water. Um, we tend to do it very stiff upper lip, just go and swim and bring the person back. Um, and I remember doing like, the first aid course and it, it was so rushed. And when, when I got back, um, because the, the time that I did it, my position was different within the, the camp that I worked at. And I, it wasn't, so we had an EMT. So I, I had like a, I'm really rubbish with abbreviations. Like I've listened to you, my, my brother's podcast. I listened to you talking to Andy and you guys like drop three letter like acronyms about anything. And I'm just like, oh shit, I got to Google that. But basically I, I was a, a, a first responder what we would call it over here um and i remember there was a car crash just down the road from where we were and because i was a first responder i had i always walked around with a radio on and i had to go down there was a girl in there she'd been burnt off her legs and everything with from the airbags well you you know the um the roads around there sort of upstate new york Absolutely. um yeah it's just they're really twisting, you know, just and, twi twisting yep. and turning all throughout the forests and, and all sorts just a simple simple like collision 
nothing, nothing terrible. There, you know, there was, there was no fatalities, nothing like that. But the girl had, um, because her airbag had, had come out, it burnt all up her legs. D definitely no spinal injuries. She was all fine. First responder sort of took her out. And I remember being questioned about it. It's like, you, you don't know what the hell you could have done then. You could have been sued. And I was uh, obviously like, an, what would I have been at? About 21. I remember being, being like, what, what do you mean I could be sued? I've just helped somebody that's clearly in discomfort. She's in no pain. I've, I've done all the necessary checks to make sure that, you know, her neck's okay. She's, hasn't broken any limbs or anything like that she's she's fine and she's out of a car that is smushed she's fine yeah i oh, shouldn't have done that and i was just always remember just being like, what do you mean i've just helped a person here in the same way like yeah. your, your, your friend's got the, the cut up his face regardless of who's your friend if you know how to fix it well let's fix it like, well, like I said, you know, he was able to report to Marine Corps basic training and nothing was on his record. And they asked, hey, where's that scar from? He's like, I don't know. I guess I tore my face when I was a kid, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, and like I said, that I honestly did not expect to get that much criticism uh, from the podcast of people going, well, oh, there's no way you did that. There's no way that that's a lie. And let's, let's be honest, Darren, if you think that I was going to get on Andy Stump's podcast and tell, you know, stories and fairy tales to a massive audience, you're out of your mind. Well, I mean, this were, is my first. If you think you're going to tell and Andy Stump fairy tales, you're out of your fucking mind. Well, <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, um, he. Uh, but what I will say I mean, to you is that um, I learned very, very quickly, and I mean, episode one uh, with a friend of mine who is a sort of he's he's an upstate New York guy. I think he's living in Massachusetts now. A guy called Rob Fusco. I learned very quickly on Instagram, YouTube, all of those platforms, as much as I like reading the positive comments, I turn them off. I just turn them off because yeah. it's, it's mental. If you, if you read what, what people, I mean, we, we can have a conversation for a good three hours here, Adam, about sure. just how mental people are. But um, yeah. I'm more interested because because of my family's background, like I, I messaged you the other day tonight, I was like, my, my granddad was a um, engineer on Spitfires in World War II. My dad was a jump instructor for the RAF and he then moved on to the SAS. So he taught the elite how to, to parachute here in Hereford, which is where I live now. Um, and then my brother is a ex RAF regiment gunner, which they they like to call it as part of the big three. But as um, as you can probably imagine, it would be a bit like um, well, I don't don't really know what the US equivalent is. So you have you've got your power reg over here, and you've got your Marines, mm. and that they are as much as they are potentially the easiest to get in. They're also the hardest to get in. So you don't need any qualifications or anything to be a paratrooper or a Marine. But you've got, you've got to be hard as nails. Um, and the RAF regiment is more or less the same, just not recognised quite the same, if, if you know what I mean. Um, right. 
they're there to protect the RAF bases. They're there to make sure the, the planes can take off and land. They're not quite given the same accolade as a Marine or, or a, a paratrooper. Um, so that's, that, I, um, I, I was going to go into the Air Force. I'm asthmatic, so I wasn't able to even start basic training. But I've always had a fascination, uh, which is why I listened to Andy's um, podcast, uh, which is why it literally, listening to your episodes smacked me right in the dick. I was like, the f- what the fuck has gone on here? And like I said to you, when I, um, I listened back to it, and I was listening to it and talking to you, and I was like, tell me, like, and I'm not joking when I say, your story is going to be made into a movie. It's going to be 100%, or a series, a Netflix series, should we say. Because, and all of my, my five listeners are going to be like, what, what, what are you talking about? And just wait for it. Because this is like the trailer. Because I'm yeah, sure, I mean, I, sure uh, we're going to get going in a minute. But sure. my God, well, well, I, I literally couldn't stop listening. I was like, that, that I'm glad you good. had that reaction, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I'm the only person that I know that I've worn three different uniforms in three different service branches. <laughs> so... Um, but the, it, it's been a wild ride for sure. So I let's mean, start, let's start from the, 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 the day you get to, so essentially, right. To all my listeners, essentially you are a qualified pilot, aren't you? Yeah. So I'm a, I, I do have a sport, uh, student pilot certificate. So I do fly small little airplanes, not as cool as the ones I used to fly. Um, yeah, yeah, but but you know what I'm trying to say there. You're essentially a um, so my, my a good friend of mine is a he used to fly the Eurofighter. I can't remember what class that is. Have you heard of the Eurofighter? It's like a oh yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah, yeah. I know so, so, so so a, a good so you essentially did the same course but the American version as him, yeah. Yeah, so I was I was lucky enough that when I went to the Air Force Academy, so I guess that's how I should start this, is that you know, my, my dream was to go to the Air Force Academy um, and become a pilot. And I got some really great experience when I was there. I did solo in the T-53, which is a, a civilian equivalent is the Diamond DA-40. So I got about 35, 40 hours of flight time at the Air Force Academy. I also earned my jump wings with five uh, free fall jumps at their jump school there. Um, and when I went on operations air force over the summer of 2008, um, I got to experience riding in the backseat of an F-16 fighting Falcon, uh, which was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. I got yeah. to hang out with the pilots for two weeks. And when I heard that the F-35, which is the new stealth fighter that we've just come out with, um, the first F-35s were going to be distributed to the U S Marines. I decided that I wanted to be one of the first pilots to fly that aircraft. And that's when I decided I wanted to cross commission from the United States Air Force Academy into the United States Marine Corps. Now that is possible to do. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more difficult, but I had to go to officer candidate school for the Marine Corps as well as finish my time at the Air Force Academy to get my undergraduate degree. So the summer of 2009, I went to Marine officer candidate school 
uh, before I started my final year at the Air Force Academy. And I completed officer candidate school. And uh, I'm sure you've heard the crazy stories I experienced when I was with the Marines um, on Andy's podcast. Where I mean, they, I have, they, but I mean, <laughs> they uh, feel free I mean, they to were giving me your, ex please explain a couple of them. Yeah, so I, they gave me I, a really I, hard time. They gave me a really hard time uh, knowing that I was in the Air Force. Um, the Marine Corps, I mean, there's a... You have different, different terms for things as well, don't you? I, I remember that. I, yeah. So, I mean, when I went there, they knew I was, they found out I was the Air Force guy. So I was always running more. I was always given more problems to solve and just they wanted to watch how I would react and how I could fail, right? So mm -hmm. it got to the point where they fake tried to kick me out of OCS and made me think I was getting oh, kicked yes. out. And they they, they drove me. They made me pack up all my effects and they drove me back to the airport, which is over an hour away, just to turn around and, and say, we're going to give you another chance. Just kidding. Just for me to report back. <laughs> you know, but honestly, for me, I mean, that's what lit a fire under my ass, so to speak. Right. I mean, that's when I started learning the terminology and reading all the training okay, yeah, yeah. the Marine Corps, because I really had to get out of that Air Force mentality and transition myself to a Marine mentality. And, I, and I'll be honest, the Marine Corps in the United States is very different than the Air Force in the United States. They have two different training mentalities, two different types of doctrine. Uh, even their war fighting principles are much different. Right? I'd say so, it's pretty much the same over here though. Like, exactly. I, like, like I was saying, like my brother being in the RAF regiment as opposed to being a Marine or a paratrooper, that it's, they're considered. And even when I was, well, the, the funny thing was when I was at Marine OCS, they actually had an exchange Royal Marine there who was a color oh, really? sergeant. So, so we had a Royal Marine instructor there who, to be honest, I couldn't understand half the things that were coming out of his mouth <laughs> with his accent. Uh, but basically what I got from it was you Americans near McDonald's, you know, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and he's running circles around us and he looks like a bear. This is a man, manimal of a man just running through the woods with all his kit, leaving all the U S Marines behind and we're just trying to keep up with them. But Royal Marines are, I highly respect them. I've worked with them on certain occasions in training environments and, uh, they're very impressive people to work with. It's so. a, yeah, different kind of animal. It's, it's the same with our paratroopers. And to be fair, it's the same with our, our RAF regiment as well, which is my brother's regiment. But um, the paras and, and the Royal Marines over here, they, they are a different kind of animal from, yeah. from then, the rest um, of the forces. And then, then you go up to the upper echelon, which is the 2-2 the Squadron SAS. Different, different again, different kind of people. But I mean, I'm digressing, and I'm the only reason I'm digressing is so I can hear my own voice. I think. So. Um, oh no, that's fine. So, so you you join the air force. Yep. You um. You're doing okay. Yeah. Um, yes. So. You had a you had a bit of an issue though while you were in the air force, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and this is actually information we found out after Andy's podcast. So you are the first person to hear some of this information that's come back from some investigations we've been doing. I'm, so, I'm not celebrating that. I'm just celebrating just being the first of anything. Like, it's yeah. not often I get this. <laughs> um, and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, and, and let's be clear to your listeners, there's a lot of things that after 10 years about this case, I still don't know. We're discovering new things every day. And now that this case is getting more public scrutiny, 
people are coming out of the woodwork. Some people are starting to talk. Um, but let's be honest with your listeners. So when I was a younger cadet, when I was 19 years old, uh, I was on an online dating website, right? So no, nothing, nothing special or significant. But Seems one day, <clears throat> done thing, right? Yeah, but I mean, people do it today with different dating apps now, right? Yeah. So back back then in 2007, that's the way cadets used to date. Uh, we weren't allowed to leave base ever. That's how you'd meet people was on these online dating websites because we had no social life. We were restricted to base all the time. So. Well, one day I get a knock on my door. My commanding officer tells me I have to report into the investigative unit for the Air Force, which is known as the Air Force Office of Special Investigations or Air Force OSI. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't, it's my first experience with any type of law enforcement. So I end up going down there and they sit me down and they had somehow they had gotten copies of some of the emails that were sent from my account. Right. And they were asking me, did you send these emails? were you conversing with this email address? And I said, yeah, sure. And then they said, well, did you know that the, the person on the, uh, that you were emailing was underage? And I said, no. And this person had told me they were also 19. We never met, we never talked on the phone, you know, everything was strictly through email. So how, how would I have known at the time anyway, right? And this is where it gets interesting, and this is the new information I'm about to give you, is that I was told that the local civilian authorities, the Colorado Springs Police Department, had provided this information to the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. But they never provided any evidence of that. They just said that this civilian legal entity gave us this information. Is it true, yes or no? I just assumed that it was true, um, and I just agreed to whatever they were telling me to do. And they just said, hey, you know, you're not in trouble, nothing's gonna happen. But, you know, would you like to work for us trying to find other cadets who may be doing illegal things on base? Um, and at the time, the Air Force Academy had a problem with sexual assault, rape, drug trafficking, and underage drinking. Now, the information that I'm about to provide you is that our investigators have come back in the weeks after Andy Stump's podcast. There is no record of me in the Colorado Springs, from the Colorado Springs Police Department of any investigation with the Air Force at all. So what, right. what that is speculative is that this was possibly, and like I said, we can't speculate, right? We don't have any concrete mm -hmm. evidence of this, but the records show there are no records. Uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department was never involved in any investigation at all involving any of my email addresses ever or my name, which only can mean one thing is that the Air Force Office of Special Investigations had probably set this up from the get-go and it was all... Um, a way to convince me to become an undercover informant for them. And that's how they would convince me to become an undercover informant. So me believing I possibly could have been in trouble, even though I was never given in trouble. And on our website, adamdorito.com, my yep. record is clean. There is nothing on there. There's no record. I've never been convicted. I've never been charged with anything ever in my life. And if any of those things were true, that the Air Force Office of Special Investigations had told me, then they would be populated on the record and that would be public information, but there is none. So I was basically forced or coerced into working for this federal forced. investigative unit. It's forced though, isn't it? Like, I, I remember right. being that age. If, if, if somebody of any of authority had said to me, like, you're yeah. gonna help us, like, you, you're gonna, and, and be, being somebody that would be a cadet in any military thing, you're going to, Nine times out of ten, you're going to you're going to do what you're told to do, aren't you? That's 
there's a reason there's a reason that you're doing and that's the weird thing military anyway yeah and that's the weird thing darren is that a lot of people would say i would never agree to work with somebody without a lawyer i would never do yeah okay i've I've been to be honest i've been you're locked i've been in a a cell and i've been in a cell and i'm i'm not proud of that but i'm not being funny you even just a police officer opening a door i did I did exactly what they told me to do. I'm not a badass. I'm not. I might might pretend to be sometimes, but I'm not a badass. If I've got an authoritative figure in front of me opening a door or saying, you you did this, did you know this? I'd be like, okay, really sorry. Didn't mean to. What do you want me to do? How can I fix it? Which seems, how old are you, 19? I was 19. 19, yeah. just, just trying to be a pilot or just get your military career going. And yep. you've got some guy with stripes, I'm guessing, up his wrist. That's usually... Oh, yeah. That's usually where I they get... a rank above me. Yeah, they keep, they keep them. And, oh, man, that's why it rang so true to me when I was... I was listening, just going, fuck, poor kid. I'm not talking about and you that's... now. I'm not talking about you now, because I'm sure if it happened now, you'd be like, fuck you, man. But yeah, you just you just say. I'm lawyer, just thinking you know, that 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 kid, that 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 Adam at 19. In that yeah, so situation. I've received a lot of yeah, Darren. So I've received a lot of criticism over the years of you know how could you agree to work with these people without a lawyer, without any kind of documents, without any backing. But like I said, when you're 19 and you're going to a federal military academy, you just do what you're told. That's it, you know, because you just want to be left alone. You want to start your career. So. You know, the odd thing about that was is that I got involved in some serious investigations at the Air Force Academy. There was a legitimate problem of sexual assault and rape, drug trafficking, and underage drinking at the Academy. And I was involved in a lot of those investigations. Um, you know, one of the main stories I brought up during Andy Stump's uh, Cleared Hot podcast, it was that I was actually called by one of the cadets at the time, and I was asked to come pick them up and help them and get them back to the Academy because they had been raped. And the reason that they called me was because they didn't trust their chain of command. And this is a major focus point with you that I want to make is that the U S military has a serious problem with addressing sexual assault and how it's handled. And I'll use this, my personal story that I can, you know, validate as an example, this person was so afraid to report to their chain of command that they were raped because they were worried that, even if they reported rape, they were still going to get in trouble for underage drinking, for not for being off base when they weren't supposed to. And that's how the U.S. military has been squashing a lot of these reports is that and how, why there's such an underreporting issue. Many people will not report sexual assault or rape because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble for what they were doing that to that event. And that's not fair. If you're sexually assaulted or raped and you happen to be at a party or you, maybe you were underage drinking. Yeah, you want to know what? You weren't doing what you're supposed to do, but nobody deserves to be raped or sexually assaulted. You know, and that led to a big issue where, as my work as an undercover informant, I was trying to get these reports filed with the military because these other people were too afraid to do it themselves. Now, when I started reporting these sexual assaults, things started to come to light. You know, then my chain of command found out that I had been involved in writing these reports and doing these investigations. And I was immediately assumed to be so-called fraternizing with the people that I was helping on the investigations. I had to look that word up 
Yeah. Um, so all that, all that means is that I was a senior ranking cadet and I was interacting with a lower ranking cadet at the time. Yeah, yeah. Now I was accused of having a sexual relationship with one of the people that I was investigating, which wasn't true. There was no evidence of that or anything. And but yeah, what, that wasn't true. Yeah. No, it wasn't true. And, and the problem was, is that the people that I was investigating who accused me of fraternization were involved in underage drinking, drug trafficking, and were involved in several uh, other things at the academy. Yeah. Now, um, to be 100% honest, that person later on was actually found uh, guilty of adultery and was found uh, guilty in that court martial case with a senior enlisted person. So this person who accused me of fraternization was right years right later was fraternizing the entire time with the senior enlisted people at the base Mother and the way it. to, and the way to distract away from her case and yep. her miscomings as a cadet was she got her and five of her friends to tell the same story with that Lieutenant Colonel from the preparatory school who was organizing the investigation and they accused me of fraternization with no evidence other than some written statements that all sounded the same. And yeah. that was the reason why we get into the second part of the problem with OSI when I was working for them is that I was brought into the office, even though I had been working with these OSI agents. And they said, Dorito, you know, you've been working with us. We can't break your cover. You know, you have five people accusing you of fraternization. There's nothing we can really do about that. But if you just sign this pre-written confession, will help you out and will help you graduate. And that's immediately when I should have requested a lawyer, right? But yeah. now I'm what, 20, 21 at the time. I'm about ready, getting ready to graduate from the Air Force Academy. I'm a few weeks out from having four years at the Academy and just leaving and finally going on with my life. And they pretty much said, frat is frat, whether it's sex or whether it's talking to a lower enlisted person in the military, you can't do that. So you might as well just admit, I didn't know any better. I had no legal counsel. I was never read my rights or anything. And I signed a pre-written confession that simply only had the word yes written on the document. That's it. Really? And that's what they, that's it. The word Just Y-E-S. Yes. Did you fraternize and have sex with this individual? And all I wrote was Y-E-S. After I wrote the word Y-E-S, then I was given an Article 15, which is in the U.S. military, that is non-judicial punishment. What I should have done was I should have requested trial by court-martial. Because if I had requested yeah. trial by court, if I had requested trial by court-martial, they wouldn't have been able to prove anything because it never happened, right? But like I said, I was doing what I was told. I was coerced to do so. I had no way of, I had no alibi, right? I was by myself. So who's who's going to prove my side of the case if? You know, no one's willing to speak up for me except my OSI handlers, who actually did go to my my hearing at the time for my Article 15 hearing, and they actually did write a letter and come in and support saying, you know, Cadet Dorito has been helping us on several investigations. He, we believe he's never lied to us, and we believe he has helped with several investigations. So for the federal agents to come in and support me during my hearing, and for them still to try to cover up these sexual assaults and misgivings at the academy, you know, leads us to speculate there was something more going on yeah. at the Air Force Academy than was visible because I think it's what Andy and I discussed in his podcast is why am I so important? Most I, people. Yeah. I, I, I've seen most, that. Like, like you're, you're just a dude. Yeah. I'm just a dude. I'm another cadet in the yeah. system and there's another cadet willing to take my spot to become an yeah. officer, right? The military is a machine and everything else. So, um, 
and let's be 100% honest here, and this, is, and this is the second part of the discussion that we did not have with Andy, is that most of the people that we were investigating for sexual assault, rape, drug trafficking, and underage drinking, and providing alcohol to minors, were recruited intercollegiate athletes. That's a main, a main issue, um, which not just at the Air Force Academy, but multiple academies and multiple campuses around the United States that aren't even not, you know, military academies. Yeah. Um, sports are a massive revenue generator for these institutions. Um, and not being able to attract high performing athletes to military academies would lead to poor performance for their sports teams. Yeah. In the United States, in the United States, in the, uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association, or the NCAA, NCAA, Air Force Academy. Yep, the Air Force Academy is listed as a Division One school. So, being in a Division One school means big money, big dollars, big sporting events, right? Attracting mm -hmm. people, buying tickets, selling merchandise, everything else. A lot of the people that were involved in these investigations were playing on these teams. And if those people had been found guilty or removed from those teams, it might jeopardize sports recruiting um and you know championship access to some of these teams yeah you know um there is one specific case that we can point out and i can 100 percent definitely prove uh one of the people we are investigating which you can look up his court martial case online his name is jameel cooks jameel cooks had sexually assaulted and raped one of the cadets that had reported to me that i had written a report for while i was working for air force osi this person's case was put to the side so he can continue finishing his preparatory school year to get onto the main academy football team his freshman year. After I was removed from the Air Force Academy, uh, my investigations were continued by another gentleman, undercover cadet as well, named Eric Thomas, with the same handler I had, Mr. Uh, Mike Munson. And that cadet uh, continued to rape several other females after that. The only reason that Mr. Cooks was caught and why he was convicted out of the 30 people I investigated was 30. because Jamil, yeah, 30. I investigated 30 individuals. Yes. Um, the only reason that Mr. Cooks was caught and was apprehended was because he had sexually assaulted a civilian woman at the time. All the other cadets and people he had sexually assaulted were military, so the military handled it internally, and the Air Force made those sexual assaults and rapes so go away what? so he, so he can continue sake. to play football. So Mr. Cooks was apprehended by um, authorities at the time, and he was brought in for questioning. He was convicted by military court-martial, and the only reason he was given a military court-martial was because the civilian authorities at the time relinquished uh, their jurisdiction back to the Air Force. And now this is where it gets slightly infuriating, Darren, is that Mr. Cooks was found guilty and he was given a dishonorable discharge from the U.S. Air Force. However, his punishment for sexual assault and rape was only given 90 days uh, served time, and that time was considered counted while he was awaiting trial in his cadet room at the Air Force Academy. Mr. Cooks then proceeded to leave leave the Air Force with a court-martial felony conviction for rape and sexual assault, and he immediately just went to another civilian college to play football and was potentially being recruited to play professional football after that. And that's all information that is available online. That is 100% verifiable. Um, like I said, these aren't fairy tales. These aren't stories, but these are the hard truths. Now, 
Mr. Cooks is just one example of this. There are many other examples, but I'm only going to speak the truths that I can 100% prove with documentation and facts on, on these podcasts, right? So if Mr. Cooks is only one example of this happening, how many else, how many others are there on multiple teams in different sporting events at the academy? And going back to our original question, Darren, is I believe that this is exactly why the Air Force is spending an enormous amount of money, time, and manpower to make sure that our case never reaches federal court. Because if it does, it is going to expose a lot of these things and cause um, a lot of problems within the U.S. military itself. Well, it's exactly like I, ah, I mean, Jesus Christ. We, we, we haven't even gotten to the second part of the... I know. And I, I was just going to say, like... Like I said, you're just so immediately. Yep, that's what happened up until 2010, right, Darren? So you're just a one dude. How many other guys are in the exact same position as as you are? There's more, um, but I'm the only one who's been able to fight it legally. There were other cadet undercover informants at the academy that I have become aware of over the years, but unfortunately, they cannot afford to fight this case. They emotionally and physiologically can't take it. It's very stressful. It's monetarily damaging to their families as well. I'm and most sacked, of them have I'm, just given up. I, Adam, I'm right. We haven't even got into the fun stuff, like, like the fun stuff yet. <laughs> yeah, and that's just up to 2010, right? I, so honestly, I'm so, I'm trying to be a good podcast host here, and I'm literally just like, for fuck's sake, this. This isn't real, but I know it is, yeah. but I know it is, and that's mental. And, and like I said, Darren, I would not provide you any information that you could not look up online that was public. I, I, know, you, I, I, know, I know you wouldn't. We've, we've been talking for like a couple of weeks now, haven't we? I, I know this isn't yeah. bollocks, but it's, it's one of those. You know, I, so for me, for I, me Darren, I, I, had to, I had to move on with my life, right? Because I can sit here and wait for the Air Force to make a change, but it's been 10 years and they still haven't made a change. So I immediately went back to school. I got another degree done, even though I finished my degree from the Air Force Academy and, you know, they kept graduation away from me. Yeah. Uh, Ruined my reputation with my family and my friends at the time. You know, very embarrassing, very emotionally traumatic. I will will say that that was one of the hardest days of my life. How did your family take it? They still can't take it. Um, You know, for me... Like I said before, I mean, what, what, explaining, did you, what did you say to them when, like, like how, how did you explain it? You know, I told my mom, you know, I was, and my grandmother and my family at the time, you know, I was accused of something I didn't do and they're taking everything away, but I'm just trying to do as I'm told. And hopefully if I do what they say, they're, they're going to give it all back to me. And, you know, my mom's like, you know, I just don't understand how they, they could do that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we have more evidence to prove what they were doing years down the road. Back then, I had no lawyer. I couldn't afford one. It was me by myself versus the United States military. And I, I will tell you, it's a, it's a losing fight. It's bringing, you know, it's bringing a pocket knife to a machine gun fight, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, no one was supporting me back then. All my so-called friends that I thought I had at the Air Force Academy abandoned me pulled chocks and cut ties with me. They didn't want to be involved. You know, the Air Force Academy and the Air Force in general had spread a lot of stories and rumors about me, basically telling everyone that I was a bad cadet and just not to be involved with me. Uh, you know, and even since Andy's podcast, I actually had one person specifically reach out to me and apologize for how they treated me. They said, I didn't know your whole story. I'm sorry for how I treated you. 
you know, I, I hope that you finally get justice. And now that I understand the whole story, you know, please let me know what I can do for you to help. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that your podcast as well will distribute some of that information as well is, uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't a perfect cadet. Of course I made mistakes when I was younger, you know, I, it's everyone's perfect, going to make mistakes, you know, but I, ne I definitely did not do anything that warranted the way I was treated. And, you know, like we can speculate, the reason I have been treated the way I have been was to protect the institution and its intercollegiate athlete sports teams because they're worth millions of dollars and it's much easier to get rid of one individual reporting, you know, sexual assault, rape, drug trafficking and underage drinking than it. And it's easier to get rid of that guy than it is to get rid of 30 recruited athletes from all over the country so that worth a lot of money, support yeah? the sports teams. Yeah. yeah. Follow the money. Um, That's how everything normally goes. Just follow the money. Yeah, it's, I'm. I'm really glad that you had that one person though, because that one person is worth every co negative comment that you've had. Yeah, and um, it's, uh, it's either been, it's on YouTube really or Instagram or whatever. That one person is worth way more. And and for me, it's there's more people coming out that are talking to me now, going, you know. Adam, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I wish I knew that what was actually going on at the time. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we didn't really get a lot of even more increased evidence of this until 2017, right? I mean, I had moved on with my life. I had joined the oil and gas industry, and that's how I was able to earn an income that would able to provide me the, the monetary sources to hire a competent legal team. Mm -hmm. um, I found that loophole to get back into the military you know, the, the contract National was, Guard, I had to, man. right. So I, I was able to override my federal discharge paperwork, which was still good paperwork. Um, I mean, I got a general discharge under honorable conditions. That's not a bad discharge at all. Yeah. So um, but it was, when, it was signed. You, let me say, when you say that under honorable, sounds like you left under honorable, not under right. honorable, which is, right. I heard you say it a few times on Andy's thing. I was like, what the like, so you left under, under honorable circumstances, yep. but under honorable is what they mean, isn't it? So, so it's, um, so you have like honorable discharge under honorable. Well, I, so, so I think that's a, that's a, that's a, a English language barrier between us, right? So yep. there's honorable discharge and yep. then there's general discharge under honorable conditions. So actually I, to better put it in English phraseology, would be it is a general discharge with honorable conditions. Right, it is okay. included in that. It is not yeah. considered a category under. I still have that honorable conditions. The only difference between an honorable discharge and a general discharge under honorable conditions is the fact that I don't. I wouldn't receive any veterans monetary benefits. That is the, that is the different of the classification from that. So fuck you again with that. <laughs> so basically, yeah, yeah, but it didn't matter I, for me because I'm, I ended up getting back into the military, right? Yeah. And uh, I had to drop my commissioning aspirations at the time and go in as enlisted, um, which has been a trip. I've really enjoyed my time in the enlisted ranks because I get to see the other side of the of the of the book, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do intend on commissioning in the army. As soon as I can, my command has been very supportive of that. Um, I did end up working uh, with the United States Army Special Operations Command. Um, I can't legally tell what operational unit I belong to because I'm being prevented from doing so. But let's be clear, Darren, I'm not cool. I'm not special. 
I'm a guy that works in a forward support company with a lot of great American heroes that do amazing things, right? My, my main mm -hmm. job is to make sure that their parachutes work and that they're jumping out of planes and making sure they get to work on time. I mean, that yeah. is my job. I give a lot of high fives and a lot of butt slaps, so to speak, going out the door. Uh, and I, I get to jump with them and shoot guns. But, uh, you know, by no means am I, am I any kind of so-called Navy SEAL like Andy Stump or anything else. I am just a normal dude in the Army uh, supporting the guys who are doing the mission overseas, right? And I'm very yeah. proud to do those things. So, um, it's something I had to, um, had to explain to my dad recently. Um, my, my dad was a non-combative um, member of the Air Force and Special Forces. He, um, he did, I think, 20, I think he said 22 years um, service with the Air Force and did 22 years in the prison service. And I don't, I, I'm pretty sure you guys have Memorial Day. We've got Remembrance Sunday over here, which is on the uh, 11th of the 11th. So on the 11th of November every year, or as close to. And my dad would never wear his medals. Um, and I was always like, why, why not? He was like, son, you got to understand, I served with, with some serious people, especially in this town. And Hereford is known for their, their soldiers, because this is where the SAS are based. And um, I was always like, yeah, but dad, like your medals are still your medals. You earned those. You should always. It took a, a fucking guy that I worked with in a care home when I was about um, 18 years old. I worked in a care home and it just so happens that he, he was getting to the age of retirement. He was doing a couple of shifts serving my dad. And he was like, oh, I know Tomo. Like Cockney guy, he's like, yeah, yeah, I know Tomo, he's a fucking cracking guy, and he um, he was in the pub a, a, a few weeks ago. When I say a few weeks ago, got to remember we just had lockdown, so this would have been probably October last year. And he said to my dad, he was like, "You should be proud of those medals, regardless of what what they're for. You should always wear them medals." My dad came back the next next day or the, the same evening and he was like I'm going to start wearing my medals I was like what was that he went oh I spoke to Roger I was like I've been fucking telling you that for ages <laughs> but anyway we're gonna die if you let me start talking mate I'm gonna go on tangents all over the shop oh no it's it's fine I mean I'll be honest with that like I've never been deployed I never had the opportunity to serve overseas yet you know um, I've just always been in training environments and, and stationed here in the US you know like I said I've gotten to go through some fun schools I've gotten to go to you know, Army Airborne School, I've gotten a complete rigor school, I've gotten to go to Marino CS, I've gotten to go to the you know, United States Air Force Academy, but you know, let me be clear, like I've never been deployed to combat, I've never been in an operational combat unit, um, but I've gotten to support units who have done those things. So like I said, someone's gotta bring the, the beans, bullets, and you know, band-aids to the you know, to the guys on the front line, right? And that's uh, and that's absolutely. the company that I serve and that does those things. Um, so yeah, after getting back into the army. Um, I was given the opportunity to possibly go back and fly and seek redemption. Um, one of the other National Guard units in a neighboring state uh, was going to allow me to commission as a chief warrant officer to go fly Apaches, um, which we, uh, we gave a bunch of those Apaches to you guys too. So you're, you're, I'm pretty, you're well yeah. aware of the weapons platform. Um, awesome helicopter. 
I mean, granted, it's not F-35s or F-16s, but, hey, as long as it's in the air and it's Excuse got me. weaponry on Excuse it, I'll me. take it. The Apache is a pretty awesome helicopter. It's pretty right. awesome. So, sorry, my brother keeps texting me. He's trying so hard to jump in on this, but I'm not letting him. Oh, He's no, up. it's fine. And, um, and uh, anyway, so I was given the opportunity to go fly with them, and I went to go complete my final paperwork and my final checks to go to flight school. And I was told that there was several major psychological conditions listed on my medical report that were unfounded, um, that were listed by the Air Force. Now, the funny thing is, uh, like I stated on Andy's podcast, is I already had a security clearance and I work with, you know, United States Air Force, or sorry, United States Army Special Operations Command. So if any of those things were true, they would have popped up on my record years ago when I went in yeah. in 2015. This is 2017, so this is two years later, right? Um, it seemed very intentional, very manipulative. Now the army did their evaluation on me just to make sure they said, Hey, you've been in the army for two years and these things magically popped up. Let's make sure we get you checked out by our docs. Uh, make sure nothing is true. And they actually confirmed through multiple doctors that the psychological conditions that the air force specified on my record were in fact false. What, what now, the weird they? thing about, um, antisocial personality disorders, schizophrenia, you know, like, um, I, I would have to pull out, no, no, actually, hold on, let me read them to you. I'm going to pull out this record while you're, oh, here we go. Impulse control disorder, uh, personality disorder, narcissistic, anti antisocial, paranoid, and obsessive compulsive personality trait disorder, uh, not known contributory medical problems, and academic stressors slash poor social support, support impulse control disorder not otherwise specified. Um, and I will be we, to, to any, have any of those listed on your record. One, you're yeah. going to have to do multiple tests to confirm that those things actually exist. Two, you have to meet with an actual doctor. I never met with a doctor ever about these things. And three, one, and three one, one of those has got to be at least slightly specific. Everyone right, that you just said there was like, hang, hang on, that, that, that applies to every person ever. Right. So, well, the funny thing is, is that these records list all of these things on 20 June, 2011 at 1117 AM. And I'm reading these off the actual records for you. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I know if you can't see them, but no, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get all these are also available on the website. If you can't see them, you can so pull them right up on the website. Read right. You say 2011. Yeah. Now, I was discharged from the United States Air Force Academy on June 26, 2010. So how is it the fact that over a year and a half later, my medical records are changed when I am a civilian? They can't be. That's a felony and that's illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we finally said, all right, so forget, let's forget all of the Office of Special Investigations things. Let's forget about the rapes. Let's forget about the sexual assaults. Let's forget about the football team, so to speak. You know, a lot of that 10 years later is hearsay. A lot of it's hard to prove at this point, even though we have investigative paperwork. Forget it. I went to the Air Force Academy and said, I now have physical evidence, black and white, that states a doctor who I never met falsified my medical records when I was a civilian. Because I went back into the Army in 2015. I was discharged from active duty in 2010. Why is the military changing my medical records when I'm a civilian, when I should have been provided those medical records when I was discharged from the United yeah, States? Yeah, I was going to say, don't, don't you get all your papers when you, when you leave? 
Apparently not. Um, and as I mentioned on Andy's podcast, um, I was never properly discharged apparently, because if you look on the bottom of this paper right here, my current rank as listed is major. I am listed as a major in the United States Air Force. So it's almost as if I was never discharged. I was never properly given my paperwork. Um, even though I'm still serving the army several years after I was discharged, um, a lot of these things were made up and a lot so, of these occurrences should not have happened. Just to clear up, just so that everybody that's listening, which maybe 10, maybe 10 million people at this point, I don't know. But um, so if you'd graduated, what rank would you have had? Um, I would have been a second lieutenant and 10 years later now, my rank would be about probably the rank of major at this point, which is an at, at the age you are now at the age I am now. So according to the record that I was provided yeah. to, um, I've never been out apparently. And I've been getting promoted this entire time, just not being paid for it. Apparently. Jesus fucking Christ. You can make, but, and like Adam, I said, I can't make you, this up because I have the paperwork to prove it, but you couldn't make it up anyway. Like I'm, I'm a big military buff. Honestly, I, I love a military film. I love watching documentaries. I love anything. My dad, my brother, they, they, they talked to me about. My friend uh, Webby was on the other week. He's um, he's next um, Marine Commando in the Army over here, and I just love hearing the stories. You can't make this up. This is well, Darren. It gets worse. I don't know if you're aware of this. So. Uh, after, after we find out, I'm aware of this. I've listened to the after, story. After we find out that the Air Force doctor, who I never met, falsified my records when I was a civilian, mm -hmm. right? We provide uh, the Air Force Air Force Board of Corrections a new proposal, saying we want my records changed. We want my medical records changed. Here is the evidence and everything else. The Air Force actually comes back to us. And an Air Force affiliated doctor states that I was wrongfully diagnosed with several disorders I should not have, and that there is no evidence that substantiates that these diagnoses should be on my Air Force military medical records and that they should be removed as quickly as possible. That document is also provided on the website. The Air Force, even though it's been recommended by their own internal experts to remove those records, have refused to correct the documents and then now it's three years after the federal lawsuit was filed. So with that, we went to the Air Force and said, we have the evidence. Even your own people are saying you need to change the record and you're refusing to do so, which goes back to our first question right there. And why are they trying so hard to keep these yeah, yeah, yeah. diagnoses on my record? It's to, it's, it's, it's to discredit everything that I'm saying, right? Even though I'm serving in a special operations unit, even though I've been serving in the, in the Army for almost six years at this point, even though I have a civilian career and I have a master's degree, they are doing whatever they can to try to discredit me, to try to keep out of this out of the media and out of the courts. So we told the Air Force, we're gonna to go to federal court with you. If you do not change the medical record, the Air Force refuses to go to court. So we file a federal lawsuit. It takes them three years to give an initial decision. Now, granted, this decision that they provided us the motion to dismiss, which is also on the website, is not final because it's not an actual ruling. Mm -hmm. What Chief Justice Bremer states in his 
uh, motion to dismiss granted to the Air Force Academy is a motion 12B, which states that there is no law currently in the U.S. that states the U.S. military cannot falsify your records. So since there is no law that they can rule on, they are not going to make a ruling at this time. Now, for most people in the military, in the US military anyway, there is something called the Ferris Doctrine. Now the Ferris Doctrine states that you cannot sue the US military for medical yeah, malpractice. I remember hearing that. that. That law was recently overturned and now you can sue the military for medical malpractice. However, it is not handled by a civilian overture or oversight. It is handled internally by the military, which basically means you can submit a medical malpractice claim to the military, but it'll get solved in like 30 years whenever they feel like getting to it, right? Yeah, it means fuck um, all. So we, we, also, we also filed with the, me the medical malpractice board, which we have not heard back from, obviously, nor were we ever probably. However, the chief justice of the 10th district court is claiming that our case cannot be ruled on because there's no law in the military or internal military law stating that they can't falsify your records, which I find absurd. Now, the interesting thing is, is they're assuming with, the, with that decision is that I'm still an active service member in the U.S. military. At the time when my records were falsified and when I discovered them six years yeah. later in 2017, I was a civilian, right? So, so that comes into the constitutional argument for the United States, right? My fourth or my fifth and 14th Amendment rights were violated, my right to due process, my right to privacy, you know, my right to self-incrimination, all these things, right? Now, what's dangerous is why would the Air Force change my medical records a year after I was discharged? That doesn't make sense. And the more dangerous question to that is, does this mean that they can do that to any veteran? And that's a question I wish I got to ask Andy, because I'm like, Andy, how would you feel as a veteran, Navy mm -hmm. SEAL, who is now asking controversial questions on a podcast, and you're a civilian, no longer under military control, with a disability rating for benefits, right? How would you feel if the U.S. Navy just came back and decided to change your medical records and take away your benefits and everything you earn just because they can, because there's no law stating that they can't? That's dangerous. It's. And now what the U.S. military is claiming is, can a service component change them without notifying you as the service member or the Veterans Affairs Committee? Because the whole point of being a doctor is first do no harm, right? So they're violating their own Hippocratic oath. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're and they're committing a felony because according to Chief Justice Bremer, they can do all these things because there's no policy in the U.S. military stating that they can't. And who's going to ever hold them accountable? I mean, according to the motion to dismiss, the military now has no civilian oversight. They have unlimited power. And now, according to this motion to dismiss, apparently, even if you're a veteran, even if you're no longer in the military, apparently the military can just go in and change your medical records whenever they want, and no one can tell them no. And that's what our legal fight is all about here in the U.S. court system, which is what we applied the uh, 10th District Court of Appeals, which is where we're going next, is that you can try to apply the Ferris Doctrine saying that a military service member can have their records changed and the military doesn't have to tell you. Okay. I mean, when you're in the military, you're kind of screwed. I mean, there's nothing you can really do. Right. Yeah. But the biggest thing that we're trying to create is case precedent stating that the U S military and the military in general has no authority or rights over private civilians, nor should they ever. Because if you are, we don't live in a democracy or a democratic Republic. 
We now live in a dictatorship. Dictatorship, yeah, yeah, fuck. And that is, and that is not what this country nor the United Kingdom stands for. No, absolutely not. And uh, I, Adam, I'm gobs, I, I, I'm gobsmacked. I'm gobsmacked. So we're hoping, we're hoping that three other justices from the Supreme Court, or not the Supreme Court, the Tenth District Court, will rule against the Chief Justice, stating that. Yes, Mr. Dorito does in fact have constitutional rights and the military does not have the right to commit a felony and falsify his records, which caused me undue harm. Keep in mind, them falsifying my records has prevented me from flying, has prevented me from getting promoted, has prevented me from doing all sorts of things that I want to do in the military for things that don't exist. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, and again, I'll say that the things you stated as psychological issues, I was like, None of those are actual things, really. Are they? Well, the thing is, like I'm I said, that, like, you have um, none of them stated you're a sociopath. None of them stated you're like you're a psychopath. None of them well, the thing is, you have if they were to, that's fine if they want to state those things. But you have to provide the testing. You have to provide the evidence. You have to provide the proof. You have to have a second opinion, and you have to be evaluated at least two to three times to confirm well, that course, those test yeah. results are actually accurate. You can't just make stuff up and not meet with somebody and, and just put that on their medical record, which is what they did. Well, apparently and, you and can. How, <laughs> yeah, you know apparently I mean? you can, right? Now, the funniest thing about is if you read, and I invite anyone to go to adamdorito.com and read these documents, is that if you ever look at a psychological report or evaluation, right, normally the doctor is talking about the person. They're talking about how they presented themselves. They're talking about how they reacted, how they grew up, and everything else, right? Well, now, not normally, that would, that, that would be how a doctor would talk about a patient. Right. So if you actually look at, there's two different documents I would make people look at. One of them was given by Dr. Becky Gergich. She was the evaluator that I was given from the army to determine if I actually did have these psychological conditions. Mm -hmm. It's several pages long and it's very detailed. And it also says, I do not have any psychological conditions. The ones that were written by this doctor that I never met are a couple sentences on a piece of paper, and all they were was regurgitated words from my commander, who I did not get along with at the time. And how I knew it was him was because there's one specific sentence in those documents. Now, keep in mind, I had an air contract, and I want to be a pilot, and I want to go into the Marine Corps. I mm -hmm. love the infantry, and now I am a ground pounder myself, so to speak, as a paratrooper. Yep. But at the time, I had no desire to run around with a rucksack on the ground in the mud and the trees. You know, I wanted to be in an airplane flying far, far above all that shit, right? Mm -hmm. And there is one sentence in there, and it says, I was concerned about Cadet Dorito because he said he wanted to join the Marine Corps to join the infantry to kill people. Now, to be fair, I don't know what else the Marine Corps does. I'm pretty sure in the infantry, you're trained to kill people. That's what yeah. the Marine Corps does. But how I knew that it was all made up and all these things were just said on a whim was because I never once said I wanted to be an infantry and I had an air contract at the time. So you can see that yeah. these were high ranking officers that were just on a power trip and they were trying to railroad me out of the system as fast as possible. Um, and unfortunately as a cadet, I had no say, I had no way to defend myself. I had no lawyer, no nothing. And that's what happened. So uh, were you, when you were a cadet, were you a loud mouth or did you... Oh, absolutely. I'm from, see, I'm from New York. So of course we're loudmouths. And, and yeah. like I said, Darren, 
that's, that's my own personal faults, right? I mean, I had, especially when I came back from Marine Officer Candidate School to finish off my last year at the academy, I had, I had an ego on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very overly proud of what I had accomplished that most cadets had not. Um, there was a part of me that thought I was better than some of the Air Force Academy cadets. And working as an undercover informant, there was a part of me that thought like I was technically untouchable because even okay. as, as far down the rabbit hole as I went with some of these investigations, I'm like, I always have these agents who are going to back me up. Yeah. So I have nothing to worry about. That wasn't the case. And I learned those lessons the hard way. Oh, yeah, yeah you know? obviously. I was just and, trying, and, and I, I was trying to get my head around why, why these people, uh, obviously I, I, I can understand the um, the undercover stuff, if that sort of came to light, I could see them be like, oh, fuck this guy. But well, other, yeah. than, other than that, like, I mean, I've, like I said, I've spoken to you for a couple of weeks now and you seem like a nice guy. I can't see why they, they'd have well, you know, Darren, in for you so much. Like, well, Darren, I'm also 32 now. I have a fiance, I have a house, I have a dog. Yeah. You know, my, my life is significantly <laughs> calmed down. Yeah. Um, and I'm very thankful for the people that are still in my life that support my case and my cause. You know, when I was younger, I was young, I was cocky, I was full of myself, um, as any young military person would be. You know yep. what I mean? I mean, I still see it in my privates today. You know, I got a bunch of young 18-year-old kids under my command that I'm like, hey, man, I was like you once. You should probably not do that shit because it makes everybody hate you. And, you know, um, and I bet they really listen to you as well, don't they? You know, um, <laughs> I hope I hope I have had a positive impact as so-called the all older, saltier guy, you know, yeah. in the unit now. Um, but like I said, I learned from my mistakes. You know, I, I've apologized to the people who I honestly felt like I've wronged in the past. You know, but like I said, when it comes down to brass tacks, everything that happened to me at the Air Force Academy was not warranted. It was way overkill. It was way over the top. I've never been convicted of a crime. I've never had anything on my police record, which is public available information. Um, And people who were guilty of sexual assault and rape and all these things that were actual crimes are still serving in our U.S. military today and were never caught and nothing was ever done about it. And that's... And, and Darren, let's be honest here. There's a, there's a very interesting book I would invite you to read. Um, it's, it's called The Cost of Loyalty by Tim Bakken. And in this book, he actually describes the culture. Give me a sec. Let me write that in. Hold on a second. Yeah. Let me do a little. I'll a pull it up for thing. you too. Um, yeah, I, I would invite um, anyone who wants to join the military, go to a military academy. It's um, or is it? Yeah, it's right here. The Cost of Loyalty. Of Loyalty. And who's it by? By Tim Bakken. B-A-K-K-E-N. B-A-K-K-E-N. Cool. And it is actually a first-hand account of um, a civilian professor at West Point, which is the Army equivalent of the Air Force Academy. Is that near New York? York, Yes. West Point? Yeah, I remember that. I saw a few uh, lost soldiers where I worked. And And if people want a more direct first-hand account of the things I'm talking about. This book is a great reference point because I know my case sounds very unique, very confusing, and people go, there is no way this shit happens. But this man who I never met until I talked to him only a few weeks ago had a very similar experience to me. He actually even indirectly references my cases work that I worked on with Eric Thomas at the Air Force Academy in his book. Um, 
this is not just an Air Force Academy problem. This is a systemic problem at West Point, and it yeah. is a systemic problem in the U.S. military. And he, he asks a much bigger question in the book, which I think is a very interesting topic, is the United States and NATO have been involved in the global war on terror for nearly 17 years at this point, right? And I did bring this up with Andy a little bit as well, is most great officers, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people who graduate from these academies who are great people, they lead great you know, lives, they do the right thing. But by the time they reach the rank of captain as officers, they have two choices. They can either stay in and try to make the major board and deal with the bureaucracy that the military is, or they can get out because they've realized their worth. They can go make more money in the civilian world and they've done their time. Yeah. And, and a lot of the good officers, especially the, my, some of my closest friends now who are just getting out after our 10 year reunion now, right? Yeah. Coming up this year. Um, they're getting out and working in the civilian world and making more money because they realize they can't change the military and they're not being valued for who they are. So who is left serving in the highest ranks of the military at this point? It's the people who stay in, stay who in, are yeah. yes men, who are not the overly high achievers, so to speak. Some of them are, don't get me wrong. There are there's still some good ones. But yeah. um, if you look at all the officers in the U.S. military who have led major combatant commands in Afghanistan and Iraq since 2001, Many of them are academy grads, and many of them have failed to do the mission that they were assigned to do, um, and the evidence is laid out in the books, such as The Cost of Loyalty and another book called The Generals by Tom Ricks, um, which, is, which is an in-depth dive into an analysis of generals in the U.S. military um, pretty much from World War II until now. And the main difference is generals back then in World War II, if you had lost the battle or you failed a mission or anything else, you were replaced instantaneously. What was that author? Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Ricks and the Tom book Ricks. is The Generals. Yeah, so I would Rick, have heard... Ricks, like you'd think it would be spelled R-I-C-K-S. Yeah, R-I-C-K-S, yeah. Um, and I, and this Honestly, goes for I'm, who, I'm ordering these, as you say, on Amazon. Yeah, and this actually goes for anyone in the UK military as well, because like I said, we are we are partner allied forces, and I believe that these decisions as officers uh, that are being made in these combatant situations are very important. Now, I can't speak on personal combat experience, right? I cannot speak on how to go win Afghanistan, so to speak, right? But what I can, what I can speak on is my experience with good leadership and my experience with bad leadership, you know? And if we allow the ranks to perpetuate themselves with um, leaders who are not up to the tasks of leading their people and are more worried about being in a political position, then I really think that we need to question ourselves is how did we get here? And the question is, leads right back to my situation at the Air Force Academy. You know, we're pushing people out of the academies. We're preventing them from being good officers who are trying to do the right thing. You know, I told the truth at the academy. I was doing the right thing. I was upholding the principles that we will not lie, steal, cheat, nor tolerate anyone who does. And I was upholding the Air Force core, core values, service before self and excellence in all we do. Um, the people who were involved in my case were not. And those people are still serving in our military in the ranks, in the higher ranks of the officer world. And I am not, you know, so that leads to bad morale and it leads to a lack of good order and discipline within the ranks. And I believe that that's what has caused a lot of internal problems in the 17 year global war on terror is not necessarily you can't necessarily say it's just because of the academies but it's allowing justice not to be served the troops you know if someone yeah. reports sexual assault something should be done about it your commander should care about you if you call in the middle of the night and you're drunk and you need to be brought back on base you should be able to call somebody and not fear that anything 
retaliatory is going to be taken against you. Um, you know, if you see something's going wrong, a perfect example for that would be the Vanessa Gillen case in the U.S. This enlisted member was found murdered and she was bludgeoned to death in Texas. She had reported sexual assault and everyone in her chain of command had ignored the warning signs and the reports prior to that. As a result of her failed chain of command, whether it's her non-commissioned officers or officers above her, mm -hmm. at the time, that woman now lost her life. And now we're discovering that it's not just her. There are other people that have been found that have been murdered off that base over the, just the past few weeks. All this is coming to light now, but now you have to ask, how long have these things been going on? You know, this is only in the past few weeks and months when people started to give a crap. But how yeah. long has this been going on in the U.S. military? So are we going to be the most effective fighting force with a lack of leadership that has morals and the ability to lead troops into combat or make the right decisions? Or are we more worried about allowing officers from the academies to become politicians who are only worried about careerism and self-preservation? I think that's a real question that people need to ask and do something about. And like, and you know, the chief justice of the 10th district court has ruled that the, apparently the military has no civilian oversight. I think now more than ever is the time for the civilians to speak up and take control of their military, take control of those high ranking officers and state that no, you will not treat those members of the military that way. They also have constitutional rights, the very rights that they're sworn to defend and that the civilian oversight of the military will ensure that those constitutional rights are distributed properly and that justice is served so that there are people who want to come serve this country voluntarily and don't have to worry about getting raped or murdered and not being believed and, and not being able to even be subjected to the legal system that they're sworn to defend. It's like a catch 22 at that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to take in there, but, oh, God. Like, the one thing that was, like, ringing, like, ringing like a bell in my head was you should never be in a position to be in a, like, quote-unquote political position in the military. You're there to do a job, right? Right. But if, if, you're, a, if you're a general... Like, I, I don't even know what command you'd have over people, but in my head, that's quite high. So your job is to look out for the people below you. Correct. And there, there's no politics in the military. In, in my head, that's how it should be. There should be no politics. It's black and white. Like, you, you're doing your job. Yes. Correct, but unfortunately, that's just not the reality of the modern military. And it's mental that, that, that that's that's even a even a case because that it really shouldn't be a thing. There should be no politics. Right. There should be no there should be no monetary value to the air force having collegiate athletes. That that's you're the fucking military. You what more money do you want? So, Darren, let's let's be honest with that. What if we take the sports revenue and all those things away from the military academies. What is yeah. going to be left of the military academies? Their only focus is going back to training and developing officers of character, developing their leadership abilities and developing their abilities to bring men and women to combat and bring them home. Mm -hmm. Right? So if we take away the source of the corruption, then the corruption will fix itself. 
And I believe that the military academies, such as West Point, Annapolis, Merchant Marine, Coast Guard, and Air Force, need to get back to their established roots. And that is we are here to train and develop officers of character. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is to take away what is preventing those things from occurring. And from my personal experience, I believe that intercollegiate athlete sports in the Division One in the Division One circle have greatly affected that. Now, many people give the argument that sports are necessary for, you know, development and you know team sports and everything else. That's true. So I agree. Can do I those, agree. But that shouldn't be a so, part I mean, of the military. I mean, that should be something you pl- do on the side of the military. Right. I mean, I played rugby at the academy. Don't get me wrong. I played with a lot what of great position? What yeah. position? I was, I was a prop. Come on, man. I'm a prop forward. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I developed a love for rugby. I played with a lot of guys from the UK. Um, you know, it's a great international sport. And if we want to keep sports at the academies, there's no problem with that. But what we should be classifying them as Division Two or Division Three sports. where They should, they should sports- be competing. Right over here, um, the you have the, clubs. Yeah, and if yeah. if you're in the military, you and you've got a weekend off, mm-hmm. you 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 can play. Well, or, yeah, you can go pick or, up a game. You can go like pick up my, a game of sevens and whatever yeah. else, right? Or like my, um, my dad played um, played for the military, but it wasn't to his advantage. It didn't stop him doing his job. Yeah, he played for the air force. And when he became good enough, he played for the uh, inter-service. So he played for the Army, Air Force, Navy. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't, that wasn't to his advantage in any way. That just meant that he, he was playing on a Saturday and he was playing for the inter-services or he was playing on a Saturday. Right. And he played. The and only, I, I agree. The only advantage that would have been to him would mean that he didn't have to do something on a Saturday like showing his boots or something like that. It just meant that he, he got, bear in mind that my dad was out of wartime most of the time. He, yeah, you know. I agree. And I, and I think for, you know, the U.S. military academies need to take a serious look at how to revamp their system. I think one of the simplest ways to prevent and reduce numbers of sexual assault, rape, and all these, um, you know, crimes that were occurring, that are still occurring there, is to simply just take away the sports incentive to be recruited at the academy. If we just recategorize the academies to division two or division three sports, we're still gonna maintain those sports teams, but we're not gonna be competing on a revenue generating level that the academies are participating at now. I, and I didn't will, realize and that, it will that was, force. I genuinely didn't realize that that was the case. I didn't realize it was yeah. a, a revenue based because it's, it's a government funded thing anyway. It's the military for fuck's sake. Right. So we're already government funded. We have a beautiful campus and everything else. But now all that additional money just goes towards to lining the pockets of, you know, the people who are on those boards, yeah. the recruiters, um, building new buildings. It's exactly. politics, right. right. So we already have a government that funds our military academies. But I think we need to get back to the roots of what the academies were established for. I think the academies serve a purpose. I love the Air Force Academy and where, you know, where I came from. I'm a, I'm a proud graduate of that institution. But I think we need to get back on a focus of we need to move towards leadership development, combat training tactics, you know, um, you know, whatever else those the military specialty assignments that we concur as cadets and take less of a focus away from revenue generating sports. There's nothing wrong with good sport and athletics, but it should not be the main driving focus um, of the academy cadet wing in where we're developing division one athletes that are generating revenue for the Air Force Academy. We should go back to developing as officers 
and being effective leaders in our nation's military to make sure that we win wars and not stagnate in 17 year wars in Afghanistan, so to speak. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, was, I was just thinking as we were talking then, um, so these, these potential athletes, they don't become like a super Marine or a super general or a super major. What, what do they go into professional sports? Um, there, that is a possibility. And I think that is a drawing recruiting aspect of the academies is that they are told that they are able to defer their service agreement if they are accepted into a professional sports program. However, that is very far few and in between, and they have a much better chance of playing professional sports if they just go to a regular civilian college. Right. Okay. I was just trying to get my head around that then. So I was thinking like, if, so you get to go to a military school where Potentially, you get to get just get fizz all the time, just constant, constant beatdowns. Become even more of a super athlete, and then you've got the potential of going and joining the um, I don't know the Chicago Bulls or the like. I, I, like you have to sure, like you know, whoever, but like, like I said, like that whatever shouldn't... sport that you that you play. The, the, yeah. the Lakers um, or, or, or who, whoever. Um, yeah, but if you're, uh, if you're going to a military the Giants, family, Giants, you're a Giants yeah, fan. Giants, right, I remember yeah. that. I remember but I mean, if, if you're going to a military academy, such as West Point, Annapolis, Air Force, Merchant Marine, or Coast Guard, and your main focus is professional sports and not serving your country as an officer, I think you need to reevaluate where you want to go to college. They'll be, be the guys that I found in the woods when I was taking, taking the kids out on a camping trip. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, so where do you go from here then, Adam? Are you, um, are you going to like put a big push? You, you doing a big push like um, media-wise? Are you, are you going to? try and strong arm the whole thing what's your plan yeah so let's let's talk about that i mean the plan now is you know obviously andy stump introduced me to great people like yourself um i'm hoping that you know your listeners will also push this story um, i mean a lot of my that we- a lot of my listeners are military even though i've got nothing to offer anybody from the military well you know and and let's be honest like i said i have a great relationship with you know i worked with guys from the raf and the sas yeah. and you know, and a couple of the paratroopers and whatnot, right? So, they'll be listening to this one. I've been spreading well, the word big time. Hey, if you guys ever want to come jump with us and you want to come over here, I got plenty of parachutes for you guys. Hit me up on my email and we'll set you up, right? Just come on over. We'll do a joint jump. I'll we'll send the British up. wings. I'll give you guys some airborne wings. We'll make it an even trade, right? Oh, fucking um, brilliant. I've, I literally yeah. spent my. Did you, did you listen to the podcast with Webby? Because we were literally talking about parachuting the whole time. Yep. From a guy that's never parachuted, but I know the internet's parachuted like the back of my hand, mate. It's yeah, we actually, um, yeah, we actually jumped with the German uh, paratroopers last summer. Uh, yeah. They came over and worked with our with our unit, so we're actually always working on foreign integration jumps. So please, um, if any of your guys who are listening actually do are interested in doing a joint service jump with my unit, we would be more than happy to host and provide that. Um, you know, just get on a plane get your asses over to Colorado. I'll strap you up with a bunch of parachutes and we'll start, I'll start throwing you off. I'm literally, um, I'm literally texting one of my paratrooper friends now. I'm going to do it now yeah. on my phone. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing that people can do to support us in, in our cause is you can go to www.adamdorito.com. 
D-E-R-I-T-O. There you'll be able to review the evidence. You can write U.S. members of Congress and the 10th District Court. doesn't matter what country you're from at this point. The more social pressure we can get on these people to make the right decisions is the best way forward for us. Uh, like I said, American politics are very socially volatile right now. So the more public pressure we can get on these officials and force them to do their job and do it correctly, um, the better. Second, you can connect with me on Twitter. That'd be at Adam Dorito. And on Instagram, same thing, at Adam Dorito. I respond to every... Yeah, Adam.Dorito on Instagram, right? So thank you for that correction. Um, You can also email us at darksaber, S-A-B-R-E, productions at gmail.com. That is where you can reach my legal team and uh, people working on some of the social media things with us. Uh, We would love to talk to you if you have a similar story. Um, You know, like I said, my story is not uncommon. I'm just the only one who's been able to fight it publicly. And I want to tell everyone's stories, not just mine. You know, if we can make sure that the U.S. military and the U.S. judicial system is protecting its service members, then we can ensure that those constitutional rights are preserved amongst those members and amongst its citizens as well. Yeah, and I think um, I think that now is the time that, like, people are talking about your constitutional rights over there quite a lot, and people like yourself are sort of. Um, swept under the rug, so to speak, aren't you, in terms of your constitutional rights? I mean... Absolutely. Um, And that's what we're hoping to show is that even as a service member, if you are taking the oath and you're swearing to defend the Constitution of the United States against all foreign, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that those attributes also apply to the people providing that protection, right? Absolutely. We want to assure that we can establish precedent in the law stating that no, the U.S. military cannot change your medical records. It does not have control over civilians and that it does in fact have civilian oversight and that that oversight is respected in the separation of powers, which is, you know, the judicial, the legislative and the executive branches. I'm, I'm still absolutely gobsmacked by all of this, mate. I, I, I really am. It's no, I mean, Darren, it's a, uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I really appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. And like I said, um, I would love to talk to your listeners and please have them reach out to me. And like I said, the best thing that people can do is if you haven't listened to Andy Stump's Cleared Hot Podcast, episode number 137, I would encourage you to do so to get more of a, a background on what Darren and I have been talking about. Spread Darren's podcast as much as possible. You know, um, you know, make this story known. I think this is a story that needs to be told uh, because it's, it's a social issue that's very important, not just for me, but many other people in the U.S. and around the world. So, Absolutely. So something that Andy doesn't do, which I do, because I, as you know, well, as you may or may not know, uh, this is called obsessive conversive. Um, and that's because I've got a funny brain. It works in a funny way, and uh, and I will say that I know I butted in a few times when you were when you were talking, um, but um, so there's a few segments that I like to um, I like to do on my podcast, regardless of who's on. Uh, sure. One is, one is shit. My dad does. Uh, my my. My, my dad lives with me, and he, um, he, he's an original. He, uh, so he, he noticed after a while that um, we had a few dandelions growing in the garden. So we went out and got a tool. 
-hmm. And he now, he, he's ex-military. He now works for a, a royal family, which I won't disclose, as a security operative. And he lives with me sort of week on, week off. Sometimes he's in London. Sometimes he's here. Every time he comes back, that fucking tool comes out of the fridge. It's not the fridge, the shed. I was looking at the fridge then. He comes, he comes out of the shed and he's out in the garden every morning and he's taken out all the dandelions. Now, to anybody listening to that, that sounds, well, that's just what dads do. For me, it's fucking infuriating because it, it's literally just out the back of my house. I can just hear my, my nearly 70-year-old dad, like, he's, he's just like, oh. It's just, it's not just a dandelion, it's a big deal. Um, another section that I, I'm gonna spring this on you. I like to do underrated, overrated. Okay. Okay, and it could be anything. Usually, because I'm a chef now, I get food stuff thrown at me. So anything, and it could be anything to do with literally anything. Something that's underrated in your mind. Something that's underrated? Oof. Um, American whiskey is underrated. I know you people overseas think that scotch is the best. And don't get me wrong, my favorite Buffalo scotch is before Buffalo it. Trace is pretty So, pretty secret about Buffalo secret about Buffalo Trace that probably most people overseas don't know. And I would know because so one of my side hobbies, I actually make my own whiskey. I make my own alcohol. I have a whole science kit mm -hmm. distillery, distillery in my built in my garage, right? To make I want to size Um Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Sanderson. But um, but Buffalo Trace. Funny story about Buffalo Trace is the most expensive American bourbon in the world is called Pappy Van Winkle. Okay. It's I've heard it. Yeah, thousands. I've heard it. Okay. So you have your 18 year and your 23 year. Mm-hmm. The same distillery that makes Pappy Van Winkle also makes Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace is actually just Pappy Van Winkle that's only aged six to eight years and not 18 to 23. So if you uh, want to drink some really expensive American whiskey and not pay thousands of dollars a bottle, Buffalo Trace is always a perfect default to go to because I've, I've tasted all of them and they taste very similar. I've always been a Buffalo Trace drinker and I always used to do always used to be sort of an in-betweeny for me. So if we were going between pubs, and mm -hmm. um, we go to, like, let's drink like a cowboy. Let's have some Buffalo Trace. Have it, like, literally knew nothing about where Buffalo Trace came from. Yep, now you know. You, you so Buffalo Trace know. would be, so Buffalo Trace would be that underrated. Van Winkle. I did not and, know that. That's fucking dropping knowledge. And then what's overrated is Pappy Van Winkle right there. Because you want to uh, know what? It's really hard. Unless you really are good at tasting whiskey, they taste very similar, and I'd rather spend thirty bucks a bottle than three thousand dollars a bottle. I, so there you go. There's your perfect underrated, overrated answer. Just quickly before I go, uh, Japanese whiskey. Japanese whiskey is actually outstanding. Um, yeah. I will give it to the Japanese who are in the upcoming market. Nikka, they have really that, spent a lot of time. The what? Have you heard of Nika? I think that's yes. Nika. Nika. Yeah, uh, they've actually, 
won many of the world competitions in the past 10 years. So the Japanese are definitely catching up and uh, the stuff that they make is actually pretty good. So That's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, I'm trying to think, oh, uh, stuff you, irrational stuff that you were scared of as a kid. So something that you, um, I don't know, maybe a ghost story or something like, um, I, I was okay. explaining explain to my friend Webby the other day that- um, Okay. Uh, there I got was, one. There was a, a, a grave, well, a graveyard that we had to walk through to go to school. And there was a... So... Um, no, no, you carry yeah, on. Yeah, so irrational things that I was afraid of as a kid. So there are... I, li I come from one of the most haunted towns in New Jersey, in the state of New Jersey. It's called West Milford, right? And there is a road in my hometown called Clinton Road. And for your your listeners, they can look up Clinton Road in West Milford, New Jersey. It's one of the most haunted roads in New Jersey. Let me put that in and my phone as well. This is going to, this is, we're yeah, doing, there's a, tell, you, tell you what, Adam, me and you are doing another podcast and we're just talking sure. shit. For then. No, absolutely. So there's a, what's it called? Clinton Road. Road. Yep. Clinton Road. Clinton Road, New Jersey, MJ. And uh, that's where I'm from. I used to drive that road all the time as a kid. You know, you're messing, playing pranks out there. But that is rumored to where the Jersey Devil lives. And true story, the Iceman, Kaczynski, used to cut up bodies for the mafia and dump them in the Clinton Reservoir out there back in the 80s and 90s. So there's... <laughs> Yeah. Kim. So, <laughs> so we were we were always afraid of going up and down that road and turning your car off at night and turning the lights off because it was rumored that you were going to get taken down by some you know this animal sacrifice group out there. But um, but yeah, so that was something I was irrationally afraid of as a kid. And uh, as I've grown older, the the rumors and the stories still reside in my hometown about that road. But I mean, I'm 32, so I'm not I'm not too afraid of that road anymore. Yeah, but I bet you still are a little bit. Mm. I'm not going to stop there in the middle of the night and turn my car off and <laughs> yeah. walk outside my car. That's for sure. So. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, so is there any more of your story you want to, you want to push out? You know, I think the, the rest of my story is going to be being told by your viewers. You know, the more people that hear the story, uh, the more people that hear, you know, what's going on in the U S military is going to help actually make that change. And like I said, I would encourage you to go to adamdreer.com, talk to me on Twitter, talk to me on, Instagram, and hopefully uh, the vocal voice of the public will finally get that change. And hopefully the next time we do a few more podcasts, we can talk about how we actually help implement change and really help people seek justice when it comes to sexual assault in the U.S. military. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. I mean, mate, your story, I've, I've told you on our own personal um, interactions, it's upset me. It's angered me. It's done all sorts. And just, just even just say like, I, I don't know if you can just see from my, my live expressions. I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? This is not, this is not real. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's unfortunately, my story is, I, I, know, no, I, know, I, I know it is, but the it's, story is true. So, and like I said, Hopefully one day you can sit in your mansion because somebody's just bought your story and made it a Netflix thing. You know, and you know, it would. I think it would make a great movie and a great book. And but you know, to be honest, Darren, the only but thing it, I've it ever wasn't. Asked I, I bet it was not a good. Like, <laughs> I bet it wasn't it's worth not been, it. It's not been a fun. I bet it wasn't worth it. Darren. You'd rather be flying plane. Yeah. 
Now, to be honest, the only thing I ever asked for is what I've earned. I've never asked anything more from the federal government than what I've earned. And the fact that they're going through such extenuating circumstances to prevent me from achieving or being given what I've earned, which is my degree and my commission, uh, is flabbergasting. So. But they still let you serve anyway. But. Yep, now, now I'm a paratrooper, so now they really hate me. So. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fucking blows my mind. Anyway, Adam, I'm going to have to get going because it's, uh, it's, it's late over here. But I'll tell you what, give it a couple of weeks that you get through your, your training next week. And let's just have a chat. Yep. Let's have a chat. Nothing to do with sure. yeah, any, any case or anything like that. Let's have a chat. Let's talk about just shit. Let's just talk absolute rubbish. Let's talk about New Jersey. Let's talk about upstate New York. Sure. Let's talk about. Um, I've got I've got stories about New Jersey for years, man. Well, so, I can't uh, wait. So I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks. Let you get through your training because I know you got a you got a big week coming up, especially for a prop fucking forward. I didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> but it was great. It was great to talk to you. Um, and I'm going to distribute this as as widely as I can. Everybody that I know. I'm going to be sending out to everybody needs to hear your story. It's um, it's not only intriguing, which is what I I found it to begin with. It's um, it's disgusting, and it, it it needs addressing. And let's let's fucking fight back. Let's let's have it. As, as absolutely, uh, Darren. Thank thank you for thank you for your support, and I look forward to talking to your listeners and uh, hopefully, like I said, achieving justice. So you're going to get it, bud. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I've, I've got a good feeling. I right, love you, man. Aaron. I'll speak to you soon. Love you too. All right. Bye.